Welcome to the 20th episode of the Facilitator M Podcast. My name is Jim Rice and I'll be your host today. This podcast exists as a platform to present and discuss topics of interest to GP missionaries, particularly those in phase four and five fields. Today we are privileged to have Pastor Jeff Manning with us. He is the author of The Land Between, as well as Dream Big, Think Small, and Satisfied. Pastor Mannion is the senior pastor of Ada Bible Church, which is a multi-campus church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he has served for over 35 years. His great joy is digging deeply into scripture and passionately teaching the story of the Bible. He and his wife, Chris, have three adult children and are also proud grandparents. Connect with Pastor Mannion at Mannion Jeff on Instagram. Pastor Jeff, thank you for being here with us today. It's uh, I think this is going to be a rich time for us, uh, for me anyway, and for uh, the folks that have gone through this Bible study and are going to listen to this podcast. Hey, Jim, my, my, my privilege. I've been looking forward to our conversation today. Great. Uh, this book has, has, has sparked a good bit of conversation. Uh, we've had great meetings uh, together on Zoom, as we are here now, uh, with uh, missionaries from in a lot of different places. One of the questions that came to mind uh, was, in your experience, uh, what are some of the things, attitude, experiences that made it harder uh, to move through and grow from times in the land between? Uh, boy, uh, one of the things I would say is uh, patience. Uh, our culture particularly is uh, addicted to immediacy. And often when you find yourself in the land between, the timetable is not entirely within your control. Uh, if you have a child that's rebelling, running far from you and far from God, you're, you're not in control of that. Uh, if it's a cancer that you're working through a treatment process, uh, an unemployment, unemployment, can be unwieldy, uh, trying to find a house and buy a house and relocate. And so I think, I think one of the things is for those of us that like to be in control, uh, being in the land between reminds us how much is out of our control. And so I think there's a lot of waiting that takes place. Uh, so a lot of people have asked, I got a question about the land between, how can I get out of it? <laughs> yeah. I didn't write a book on that. It's just how to try to stay alive to God when you're in it and stuck in it, you know. One of the things that you talked about was transformational growth. Yeah. Do you, in your experience, have you ever experienced or seen a, a lot of transformational growth that did not occur from times in the land between? Yeah, let me think about that. Um, I'm sure I could come up with like a mountaintop experience where just something profoundly struck someone and God met someone powerfully through a message at a retreat and it set them on a new trajectory. And so I, I would be hesitant to say that the land between is the only place where transformational growth can occur. And in, in the book, I differentiated between transformational growth and incremental growth. Uh, yes. Incremental growth is where you wake up in the morning, you have your devotions, you 
journal, you give thanks to God, you, and that's good growth, by the way, incremental growth, because it, we're, we're, we're either kind of gradually growing or gradually drifting. And incremental growth is good for no other reason, if for no other reason that it keeps us from incremental decline. But my experience, and, and Jim, I've been in the same church now for 39 years. And so I've pastored just shy of four decades in the same community. And it seems to me that more often someone goes, when I came, when my faith came to life was, we use the word faith. I did my devotions. I went to church, but it was when my wife got cancer. It was when we lost the company. It was when that I really had to figure out what it meant to trust God. And so I, I think it's often a crisis uh, being thrown into a transition we don't desire that most, let me go most often, let me hedge my bet there, that most right. often, and it doesn't cause it uh, because some people go through uh, a cancer, losing a spouse, a nasty divorce, and their hearts um, harden against God. But often if we soften, many people look back on that awful, ugly experience as being the catalyst for some of the most significant growth. And so, Jim, we hear the words like, I wouldn't watch it. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. I wouldn't wish this cancer on anybody. I wouldn't wish the third miscarriage on anybody. Mm -hmm. But this is where God met us. And I wouldn't trade that. Yes. So we hear that story a lot. Yes. You've got the book. Uh, split up into five sections, complaint, yeah. meltdown, provision, uh, discipline, and growth. Yeah. Is there any particular area of that, any of those five areas that you found has been the hardest for you and or for those people that have shared with you their experiences? Well, I think that complaint's the easiest one to pitch, by the way. Because as soon when I because I preached on the land between as soon as I start talking about complaint heads not it's just like oh my goodness been there oh you know I'm sick of this I'm we're sick of this situation and so people really don't have to be convinced that complaint can take over the heart it's been harder I think to convince people that meltdown is legal okay that um, Moses prayer. Uh, why did you put the burden of all these people on me? I can't take this. I can't carry this anymore. If this is how you're going to treat me, kill me now. And that he's not the only, you know, he's not an outlier. Right. I mean, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 20 and, and 21. He, he prays, you deceived me and I was deceived. And it's seduction language. It's like you led me on and you dumped me, <laughs> you know, after he had taken a, a physical beating, a literal public shaming and beating. David, uh, I mean, the Psalm, Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Yes, four times in two verses. Right. Uh, Moses meltdown. Um, and so there are you know, Elijah's meltdown, very similar to Moses' meltdown, where he prays that he could die. And the dude is just toasted. He is burned out. He is beyond exhausted. And so here's this rich language from the Old Testament of someone like putting all their cards on the table. And uh, it looks like venting, but it's, I mean, there's a, we use the theological term lament. I don't think Christians in a happy Christian music culture are accustomed to coming to God with lament and right. say, 
we got to talk. I am not okay with this. And I am not okay with how you're treating me. And I am not okay with the fact that I keep praying and you're not doing anything. Uh, of course, more often in the Psalms, lament ends with trust, yet I will trust in you. So it's not a hit and run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a drive-by shooting at God. Right. It's pouring out your heart and at least taking the time to sit there and face God and let him meet you. So of, of the areas, of the areas, the, the two I think that are most challenging to get our brains around our, our lament, because it's not customary in our, in our churches. It, it just feels wrong. Another one is discipline. We don't like God as discipline. We want God to be, um, I don't know, the huggy grandfather, but we're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable. Amazingly, we are not uncomfortable with good parents that discipline, and we're not uncomfortable with good coaches that discipline. And we're not uncomfortable with a great manager pulling in an employee and saying, this is the third meeting in a row where you've come in 10 minutes late and you're wasting everybody's time. And this can't continue. And I need you to know this is career threatening in this organization. So we admire a good coach, a good parent, a good manager for having the hard talk. You know, the the dad, give me the keys. (laughs) Give me the keys. We said 11. It's 1.30 in the morning. You're 16. Give me the keys. Your mom will be driving you to school. And we just go, go dad. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a little, uh, it's a little uh, harder with a God as a disciplinary. But if we look at uh, discipline as a pain for a redemptive purpose, mm-hmm. I think that's what happens when a good coach benches a player when a manager sits down with an employee and when a parent has a, give me the keys with the, with the kid, it's, uh, it's redemptive in nature. And so, but I think, I think we're uh, uncomfortable with lament. We're uncomfortable with discipline. I think you realize now that the the group that you're talking to today are generally, generally are people who are living in a a different culture to their home culture. Yeah. Uh, And, I'll tell you my experience generally with that is just living sometimes is, is difficult because things are not in your, your native language. They don't mm. function as they do here yeah. uh, in, in, in your home culture. Some of the folks that are ministering and will be listening to this are, are, are MKs who were uh, children of missionaries who are now missionaries themselves yeah. who really don't identify with any culture. Yeah, or, Kids, third cultural kids. I'm not at home when I'm there, and I'm not at home when we get back. Right. Home to the states, back home to the states, isn't home, you know. And quite often, there they most identify with the culture that they grew up in. Yeah. Uh, but it's still they don't completely fit in there. Yeah. And a lot of these folks, I think, maybe is a little bit different than the general population of the church have learned to lament in ways. Yeah. Uh, for example, my hardest area is 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 in the growth, and it's particularly when growth is occurring and there are detours. Wow! Those detours during times of growth are my hardest times to say to stay with God and say, "Okay, I realize this is only a detour, or this is an opportunity that's the form of a detour, but it's part of the growth process." Yeah. Uh, so, so that for me, that is the hardest. I'm not saying that that's for any other missionary. Right. Right. Uh, just, just saying that that's, that that's there. The discipline though, we had some excellent talk, uh, discussion under the discipline section. Uh, 
And uh, I I think it is sometimes art. We either see God as a harsh disciplinarian. Mm. We kind of go to the extremes. We're kind of like our culture here in the U.S. We, We like the extremes and we rarely settle on the middle. Oh, my <laughs> that pendulum yeah. swings right by the middle. <laughs> Hasn't that been true in the last two years if we needed a... Yes. A, uh, if you're a historian, you look back through the history, not just of, of the United States itself, and you see that pendulum swinging way back and forth yeah. a lot. Well, uh, one, of the, one of the challenges, I think, with, uh, with, with growth in the land between is that we would rather have comfort and not have the growth. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. J- James chapter James chapter one. Consider it pure joy when you face many kinds of trials. Why? Well, because the trying of your faith will make you patient. <laughs> I don't want to be patient. I want what I want, you know. And so often, what God wants for me is to flourish and thrive, and I'm just interested in having something else. I would rather not have the trial and not have the patience than be assured that this trial will make me more patience. Complete and entire lacking nothing is James one. You know? So consider, consider it joy, consider it joy when your visa is held up for two more months and when your shipping container doesn't show for a year and a half, consider it joy because God's doing something, but I want my furniture. Right. And so speaking of this, uh, other cultures, how does this process uh, look or function in other cultures? The whole process of the land between. Well, let me let me let me just begin by saying that I believe it does. I believe it's a cross cultural reality. And I wrote I wrote the book uh, um, in an in an American culture to I, I think probably a uh, primarily an American audience. And yet, Jim. Uh, the illustrations from scripture take us back 3000 years, many of them to an agrarian culture. And it seems that the same human dynamics are in place in the um, ancient Near East in Israel in a thousand BC as they are now. And let me give you uh, just a couple uh, examples just to brainstorm about this with you. Um, Naomi, the opening chapter of the book of Ruth. Um, there's a family photo and it contains four people. It's Naomi and her husband, uh, Elimelech and their sons, Malon and Kilion. And they leave Bethlehem during a famine. So here's your land between, here's your transition. Mm-hmm. They become immigrants, uh, refugees. They leave the country, they go to Moab. And uh, the family portrait goes from four people to six people as the boys, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And so this thing's starting to fill out. You go, okay, it's moving in the right direction. Now, you know, get some grandkids in there and, you know, we'll be all right. And then uh, suddenly Elimelech dies and it doesn't say how. And then the sons die and it doesn't say how. And so the family of six becomes a family of five, becomes a family of three. And then Ruth is about to send the daughters-in-law away. And Orpah goes back home. And it's like Ruth, or Naomi rather, Naomi's like, I got nothing. I got, and if you're reading this in that culture, you go, you look at this three widows in the limited opportunity for widows without caregiving sons or brothers, and you just go game over. Right. And so when Naomi arrives back home in Bethlehem, it's like the women look over and see her, and then they do a double take. They go, Naomi? She goes, don't call me. And she gets theological. It's, you know, it feels a little like Lament. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. 
uh, which means bitter. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. The, the God, the Lord has brought me back empty. And so she's like, if we would credit God for the blessings that come into our lives, why, didn't, why wouldn't we credit God for the misfortune? And so here is a land between situation. She's lost the men in her family. And it's basically the other three chapters of Ruth are, how will God be pleased to meet this woman who has been emptied out and leveled through the goodness of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and through the goodness of Boaz uh, and providing a grandson. When, when Ruth and Boaz have a baby, they put the baby on Naomi's lap. And the women say, Naomi has a son. And so how will God restore the heart of this woman that has been so devastated by loss? And so I, I, so this is one illustration where I go, okay, this land between thing, this undesired transition, I was full and now I'm empty. I go back 3000 years to the ancient Near East. And I feel like Naomi is right there in my family room, you know, uh, David being chased by Saul and then the failed coup attempt by Absalom that wrecked him. Uh, and, and so um, I'm, I'm pretty sure here, here, here we go. I'm pretty sure that, that if these, this space, this space where we get leveled and where God meets us, I'm pretty sure that if that was true to human existence in Bethlehem, 1000 BC, that it's probably true in Peru in 1995, <laughs> you know, yes. and today, you know. Yeah. Well, you, what you were talking about right there was, uh, seemed to me to be right on point for, for the yeah. folks uh, that are serving trends uh, culturally. Yeah. Uh, I think that that hit at the heart of it. Uh, and I, I was feeling they, that whole thing as you were talking about it. So that was that oh. was excellent. Uh, and by, by the way, the, the, um, the, the, the book, the, the Land Between, opens with um, my mother's death when I was 12 years old, uh, leaving uh, my dad, a church planning pastor with five children, uh, 13 and under. Um, Jim, I started pastoring when I was 21 years old, 20, 25 people, small, small church here in Grand Rapids. This is a church I'm still at, by the way, but it's grown. Um, as I look back, it's always, what in the world qualified me to pastor when I was 21 years old? I mean, other than the Bible classes I had at Bible Institute, right? Uh, one of the biggest assets I had as a 21-year-old kid was the knowledge that you could wake up one day and your whole life changed from my mom's death when I was 12, that you could come home from work and your wife's sitting there and she says, I don't love you and I'm leaving. And suddenly everything gets tipped upside down. And so the biggest tragedy in my personal life, the loss of my mom at age 12, is simultaneously that event that perhaps most equipped me as a pastor to speak into the hearts of people who are experiencing a disruption that they didn't want and didn't invite uh, and don't understand. And so part of my own land between journey is that the space we hate 
often the Lord uses that to equip and empower us to serve others. Uh, it's the second Corinthians one where Paul begins his letter. Uh, Praise be, I think it is to the father of all, the all compassion, the God of all comfort, the father of all compassion who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And I don't necessarily like that. (laughs) (laughs) That there's the possibility of extreme discomfort. So God can comfort me so I can comfort others. But that's the way it seems to roll. Um, When we have a couple here at Ada Bible Church who's had their third miscarriage and they are totally undone, who am I looking for in my congregation? Someone else who's had multiple miscarriages, who can hang out with them and say, we know, you know, but who's made it, who's just a little bit farther down the field. Absolutely. Well, it just occurs to me, and I'm sure that it's occurred to a lot of other people before it has occurred to me right now. uh, But when scripture says that God is not unacquainted with your sufferings and your trials, then that fits right in to what you were just talking about. Yeah. And how can we minister to others unless we are somehow, somehow we can, we can touch emotions with them and touch experiences with them. And a lot of that is by loss or trial. Jim, when our gracious Lord traveled this earth, Mm -hmm. he chose 12 to be his closest. One of them betrayed him to the authorities. They couldn't, Jim, they couldn't find him at night. In the day he's in the temple, in the evening, most of the time he's sleeping in Bethany. They couldn't arrest him when he was in public and they couldn't find him when he melted into the crowd. They needed someone to go and say, okay, I know where he sleeps. I know where he eats. I know where he spends quiet evenings. There's a garden over here. Uh, Jesus had another disciple who disowned him three times in a matter of hours. The fact that the God to whom we pray has experienced firsthand abandonment, betrayal, and desertion. He is not unaccustomed. (laughs) And that's hard to remember. Well, Jesus, the son of God, he's deity and and humanity Mm -hmm. and all of each, you know. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's uh, something that I think we can hold on to as, as we, we go through uh, suffering, how is God preparing us to minister to those who will suffer in the future that we get to touch base with, that we get to contact. Jim, I had a, I had a missionary um, tell me on one occasion that they had um, experienced some severe difficulty in the country that they were in, where they were arrested periodically not beaten, but arrested and held. And so there was this conflict with, and I don't even remember what, what, what country it was, but it was a country that did not look favorably on believers, apparently. Yeah. And they said, no pain I experienced at the hands of that government was anything close to pain that I experienced when I felt betrayed by a fellow missionary. Yeah. There's this, a coworker says something and it's damaging or does something and it's damaging. It's really those that we let in 
that have the capacity to uh, hurt in a certain way that almost nobody else can. No, no one can hurt you like someone that you, you know, a child, a spouse, you know, someone that you've worked with and brought in close. And, yes, absolutely. So. One of the things that we did in our, our last session was I asked those that were participating and had participated in this uh, book discussion, what are some of the things you would like me to ask Pastor Mannion as we talk? Oh. And one of those things was this. One of them wanted to know if you, while you were writing this book, did you use other resources? Or are there other resources out there that they can go to uh, <clears throat> and, and use as they either pass through now or in the future face uh, these transitions. And to be honest with you, I think just about everybody in this group is looking at some type of either forced, planned, or unplanned transition. At the yeah. You know, uh, the answer is yes and no. Okay. Um, the, um, the land between book is largely came from two different sources. One was my studying scripture for a number of years. And the other one is interacting with people for a number of years. And so it wasn't a research project right. as when a um, author sits down and they read 18 books to try to get their heart and brain around a certain topic to speak into that topic with authority. Right. And so uh, I, it wasn't that type of research book. However, the, research that went into it would have been almost 30 years of dealing with the scripture and dealing with individuals in various types of life situations and life crisis. So it'd basically be uh, the scriptures plus my pastoral, <laughs> you know, interactions. Right. Having said that, um, there is a, a, a book that is probably now, I'm guessing 30 years old, uh, that I read that formed me and for, it just really formed my heart. And so it'd be interesting to know, Jim, what I would think of it if I picked it up today and read it from cover to cover, right. but it was incredibly meaningful at the time. It was uh, Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey, which helped me, I think. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it gave me a theology of pain, but it helped me think through the topic of pain on a semi-systematic way that I'd never thought through the topic of pain before. Uh, after reading um, uh, Yancey's Where Is God When It Hurts, there was another Yancey book that came out called Disappointment with God. And just the title was <laughs> willing to say something that most people would think illegal, that I'm disappointed with God. But the the book Disappointment with God also kind of like, okay, this is legal to have questions and to be frustrated and not know which ends up. And so those by Philip Yancey, I found very, very thoughtful. A uh, person that appears in Where's God When It Hurts was Dr. Paul Brand, who worked with a leprosy colony and brought both his background as a engineer and also as a medical doctor to figure out um, different apparatus for people with Hansen's disease, uh, leprosy. So 
after reading Where Is God When It Hurts, it put me on to Paul Brand's books, one of which was called In His Image. And the other one, I believe, was, uh, what's the expression? And wonderfully made. I was, uh, I want to say cheerfully and wonderfully made. That's not it. I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm lost, too. I can't yeah, think of you, it. You got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so Paul Brand's book, he talked about his journey of disappointment. It's like he wanted to be um, a medical missionary and the board of missions turned him down. And so he turned in a different direction, went to engineering school, then wanted to do this. And then finally, when he ended up working with patients of Hansen's disease, these two came together in a way. Um, so anyway, the, the writings of Paul Brandt, I don't even know if, if these are still in print today. I'm, right. I'm confident that I'm confident that where's God when it hurts. Is. Yes. But you know, yes. uh, uh, eBay and whatever, Amazon, you can find used copies. But those were some that kind of formed my theology of pain or thinking right. about pain or how God uses pain and lament with pain. And I found those particularly helpful back in, back in the day. Excellent. I know we're running out of time, but I have a couple more. Yeah. Yeah. Please fire away. Use the term habits of the heart. Yeah. In the book. Uh, that, that drew some um, identification, I think, but also some questions as to, what is what did you what are you including in this phrase? Is it uh, our response, reaction, attitudes, all of that other stuff? When you say habits of the heart, what what is it that you intended to mean? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, there's a difference between a behavior and a habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a behavior is skipping dessert. A habit would be day, daily exercise. You, you, you know, where so, someone walks a mile a day during their lunch hour or something. And um, there are habits that I have adopted that help me keep my head right and my heart right. And let me give you, can I give you two? Yes. Just two habits. One, I have a gratitude exercise that I do almost every day in writing down three unique things that I'm grateful for grateful to the Lord for. It's not by unique things. I don't mean my house, my food, my car, my house, my food, my car, my house, my food, my kids, my car. It would be a specific lunch item. It would be a specific email from a specific person. Uh, It would be something in nature, uh, waking up to the sunrise or right now in Michigan, you know, May, uh, when this is recorded, we've got green exploding with green, you know? So now I don't do that. I don't do that, Jim, because I am a gracious grateful person. Right. Um, I started that because I was noting, noticing currents of ingratitude mm-hmm. and unthankfulness, feeling uh, entitled, like blessings bombarding my life every day was normal and expected. Uh, and so I just didn't want to become an ungrateful old guy. So uh, I started chronicling three items a day that I'm grateful for. Now, I guarantee this will change someone's life in only five to seven years. <laughs> well, I think and I'll start it, working on it right now. Then. Yeah, it, no, it, it, it doesn't change a day necessarily, but it's just doing this again and again and again and again and again that begin to bend the channels of the heart in the direction of gratitude. And it's not, Jim, simply that gratitude is good. It's that 
there's that expression that good movement pushes out bad movement and bad movement pushes out good movement. And uh, chronicling three things that I'm, I think gratitude pushes out complaint, anxiety, and envy. Because gratitude, the discipline, here we go, the habit of gratitude. I, I, yeah, I'm a grateful person. I mean, sitting down, writing down three things every day, you know, uh, the habit of the heart of gratitude. Uh, gratitude is an obsession with what is going right. Complaint is an obsession with what is going wrong. Anxiety is an obsession with what might go wrong. And envy is an obsession with what's going right for everybody else but me. Right. And so the habit of gratitude, particularly in a challenging season, disciplining myself to sit down and write down three things that I'm grateful for is a habit that I believe bends my heart over time in the direction of gratitude and away from complaint. Another one is when I wake up and my, I'm racing and I'm angry and don't even know why I'm angry and I'm unsettled and I'm, it's like early in the morning and already it's my heart's not right. I write down six words and I force myself to circle one. And the six words I write down, and this is, I got these from somebody else. So this is yep. not uh, unique to me. Mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. And the first three are easy because they rhyme. Mad, glad, sad. I'm excited. I'm glad. I'm saddened. And then uh, mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. And I just go, I'm angry and I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. And I then go, about what? And so that habit of the heart has helped me at least have an interior monologue about, okay, dude, label it. Right. If you're scared, what's, what? And then there are times when I write out the fruit of the spirit and I go, which endowment of the spirit is supposed to meet that? Uh, love, joy, I'm, I'm upset, I'm angry and probably gonna take it out on someone today. Is it patience, gentleness? And I just ask our gracious God to give to his spirit what I don't seem to be pulling off on my own. Hmm. And so I need your love today. I need your patience today as I enter this board meeting. And I'm afraid that this is going to happen. And I'm upset that I have to have this conversation for the eighth time. This person should know better. And at this point, it's just blatant disrespect. This can't be a misunderstanding. You know, that's where my spirit's going. And so, um, uh, mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. And then I try to match those things up with the fruit of the spirit. And so that's another habit of the heart. And I think people are angry for days or months and won't say I'm angry, that they're deeply saddened and should be by something that is remorseful in their life. And just the ability to go, you know, I'm sad. I'm just, this is just a sad, sad season. And you label it. And then it's almost like you put it between you and God. And then you have something that you can talk about rather than just feeling unsettled without being able to label it. So habits, habits of the heart. Those are a couple of my habits. That's, that's excellent. That's excellent. How do adults, while dealing with the land between themselves, help their children? as they're doing the same thing, particularly wow. uh, with children who are already dealing with childhood trauma. Wow. You know, the, 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 the first reflection I have there is that when my mother was killed, when I was 12, my father was a widower who had just lost his wife. Jim was, was worse than that. They were on their way. They were driving to his dad's funeral. So he lost his dad and his wife within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. 
And so every once in a while, uh, someone who knows of that part of my story will say, well, you know, when you were 12, who helped you process that? And the answer is nobody. Right. Nobody. And my dad was lost and he didn't have, I mean, he's 82 today, right? Uh, I mean, this, this year, he didn't have the, either the self-awareness, the creativity, or he was so lost in a fog, he just couldn't. So I don't know what was going on with him. I just know it was a loss, but I felt out there and, and alone. And, um, it's also probable, just thinking out loud here, uh, when the accident happened, my younger brothers were two months old and four. And so my sister was 13 and I was 12. We were the kids that could get up and dress and knew how to find a bus stop in the morning. And so it's possible that my dad was attached to the children, but <laughs> the children that were in much greater need than we were. So I, 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 I don't know how, I, I just know that it's possible to be so self-absorbed and so caught in our own thing that I think we're not even aware that our kids are traveling through it too. And I would say the deeper the hole, the more you need to call in artillery from the outside. Just going like, I'm in over my head. I don't even have the create. I don't even, I don't know what to ask for. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that come into your life and say, if you need anything, ask me. Well, then I've got to ask and I've got to be creative enough to know what I need. And grieving confused people frequently don't even know what they need. And so I would say, call those closest in closer and get counsel and say, I, I don't think I'm handling this 100% well on my own. I'm in my own grief and I'm leading a children. Uh, I, I need some to speak in, into my life, but I don't have three steps, three principles. Sure, yeah. Other than, other than this um, community, it's the friendships we're creating when nothing much is going wrong that help keep us afloat when everything is going wrong. And uh, be very willing to inconvenience those people that have, you've gone long haul with, long time with, right. and just to pull in the closest closer and to go, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm in the middle of this. And um, I believe that often God will, this is important, often Christ will mediate his love through other people. Wow. And um, they get to be the presence of Christ in that. I have one more from a, from one of our missionaries, and this goes back to dynamic growth. Yeah. When you say that dynamic growth requires pain, uh, this is understandable for an individual or a team when they're training or preparing or working together. But how does it apply to a larger community? How do, how do they work through that and stay unified? Wow. <laughs> I can say mostly unified. Uh, that's good. Mostly unified is good. <laughs> well, I, I look, I look at the last, uh, two years that I've attempted to lead Ada Bible church and it's a sizable church and we're spread out over four campuses and it's not just COVID. I mean, it was a big three. It was, um, the, uh, racial tension mm-hmm. of, uh, two, two years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, with the George Floyd incident and all that happened after that, it was a problematic election. Mm-hmm. Uh, with high, 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 high opinions 
And it was the response responding to COVID uh, regulations that here in Michigan were, as I understand it, more strict than in some other states. Uh, our uh, governors seemed to want uh, desire to uh, implement more uh, restrictions and people were not always happy with that. Um, Jim, I managed to pastor this church for 39 years without a church split and without having a major rift. And yet the number of people that exited our ministry during the last two years, because we shut down at the wrong time, didn't shut down, shut down again for a few weeks because we were asked to by our area, medical personnel, uh, infrastructure, and they interpreted that as uh, a political alignment, not a medical alignment. Uh, and I, the, way, the way I worded it was, I have never worked harder for a lower approval rating in my ministry. So uh, I think today, so how did you, how did you, how did you lead process that with total unity? I, I, I didn't. I led imperfectly and more than I wish to confess, decided to find another church because of one leaning or another. But those who are with us, which is the vast majority, by the way, I feel like we weathered something together. And I believe that we will be strong because we weathered this together. Um, but it's not, man, if there's picture perfect leadership, I wasn't it and we weren't it. And then you deal with woulda, coulda, shoulda, blame. I wish I'd seen that coming. How naive of me not to see the way that announcement would be read. So all those dynamics kick in. Um, but on the backside, I, I believe that the, there's a chance for the team to be stronger on the backside of that. And, and I think it's happening. I, it just might, it's too early for me to say, and this is what it's done for us. Yeah, right. Check in with me in a couple of years. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, it, it's hard. And yet I think it does something for, and I use the word team. I, I don't use the word, you know, like a team, platoon, <laughs> you know, that you have to huddle. You've got to get together. There's people you share a foxhole with. You have to work through something together. Uh, I think there are just some things that can happen there that are different when you're just kind of year after year, kind of, I wouldn't say coasting along, but there's no significant difficulty that you have to deal with. I promise I won't keep doing this and we're, we're yeah. nearing the end, but I, that brought to mind another question from me yeah, yeah. Uh, as, as I was listening to you answer that question. How would you prefer those who are under your leadership to respond to you during times like you just mentioned, when you're not leading, uh, when you do make mistakes, and when your leadership is not perfect, what is the, from, from uh, your point of view, what is your, the best way people can respond? And let's throw in something else here. Yeah. Let's say it's somebody else leading. Yeah. Uh, but you're experiencing that that you know is not going to might not be in a healthy place themselves 
So they're yeah. not going to they're not going to respond well to any type of overt advice, counsel, or or even even support in in a way that that indicates they may need help. How do you respond to the leadership that's unhealthy? How about just that question? Oh boy, oh boy. Um, well, your first question was easier. It got harder as you kept talking. <laughs> well, I, I refined that question. I think my meaning of what I was trying to ask as I went along. Although, answer the first one if you like. I think that helps. Well, um, how do I wish people would have responded? Let me let me tweak that a tiny bit. How do I hope I will respond when I'm frustrated by a leader? Because Excellent. I think people were frustrated by me. So how do I, if I look at the discomfort I experienced the last couple of years and read that back to personal growth, um, number one, it's really difficult to know someone's motives. And um, I mean, sometimes I don't even know why I do everything that I do. The fact that you would know my heart perfectly and figure out exactly what I'm thinking. Um, and so one would be, we, we shouldn't assume to know the why. Right. You know, and know every corner of a person's heart and wh exactly what. So assuming motives can probably throw me off. Uh, a second one is I hope I can go with an overarching track record. Uh, we had people that had attended our church for 20 years. Do you love our children's ministry? Yes. Did we help your teenagers through high school? Yes. Do you like the teaching ministry? Yes. And then there was this decision to shut down for X number of weeks. It's like, we're out of here. And I, I, <laughs> I hope I can go, okay, I hope I am a little more uh, able to see the long-term trust and the long-term track record. Maybe what I'm looking there is forgiveness. Um, if you're in a long-term relationship and it's mostly really solid and trustworthy, uh, be careful about canceling the relationship because you disagree with a decision that erases that history and that trust that's been built. So reading that back on myself, I think I need to look more at the relationship as a whole for a lengthy period of time, not just the decision of the day. And I hope I'm able to resist the temptation to think I know everyone's, everyone's motives. That's excellent. Thank you. That, that, that hit the nail on the head. So I, I appreciate that answer. Uh, Pastor Jeff, thank you for, for taking time out of your day to join us yeah. here. Um, we really appreciate it. And we appreciate the book that you have written. And I'm looking forward to going in and reading your other two books uh, now yeah. that, that I've read this first one. Um, as I told you before we started recording, this, was, this book was given to me by another missionary uh, several yeah. years ago. Uh, who was who was preemptively planning for their transition, and they told yeah. me this this is going to help you at some point, and it really yeah. has. And not only that, but we've been able to use it uh, in a little wider sense with some of our to to do a book study with some of our M's around the world. So wow. I know they're appreciative. They were looking forward to being able to hear this. Uh, I know they'll join in, and they uh, hopefully they're spreading the word among other missionaries. Wow. So thank you so much for taking time out. Well, Jim, if I give me thirty seconds here. Absolutely. For those of you, uh, those of your group that are working in other cultures and even here in the States, particularly those who are anticipating a transition, I just ask that our gracious God would bless them each and every day, that they would sense and feel his care, that they would know that he sees them, that he cares for them, and that he loves them. And my prayer is that the land between that they experience would be fertile ground 
for transformational growth for the next decade and decades to come. Uh, amen. Amen. Again, uh, you can connect with uh, Pastor Jeff at Mannion Jeff on Instagram, and you can find his books on Amazon, among a lot of other places. Uh, so once again, thank you. Blessings to you. Blessings to your ministry. And we thank you for uh, this time that you've invested in us. Uh, Jim, thank you so much, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah. God bless.